Clay Sauce of the Houston Lone Stars and coach of the Texas Heat talks teaching and mental health awareness. Plus, USAFL umpire Lori Roop discusses umpiring and calling games on four different continents. Plus, Pat McAfee's one-night stand with the AFL. All of that coming up next. This is Episode 2 of the Marks and Stripes USAFL Podcast. G'day everyone, I'm Brian Barish and it's great to have you along once again as we talk Australian rules football here in the United States. We have a couple of great guests in Lurie Roop and in Nick Plaisons that we'll get to in just a little bit. But before we do that, obviously we are under very extraordinary circumstances with the COVID-19 virus and its grip that it has really on life at the moment. But I want to go back a couple of weeks ago because the AFL and our sport of Australian football was in a very unique situation where all of the other sports in the world had been put on pause. But the AFL, for better or for worse, decided to go ahead and play its first round of the season. Now, the benefit of that was that Channel Fox Sports 1 was able to put games on live and during a time of the day or night where people could actually watch. And what that led to was an influx of interest here in the USA for the game of Australian rules football. Now, that's pretty fantastic, and I'm sure uh, there are many of you who were a part of that, uh, listening and watching these games. And if you have, have just discovered this great game of Aussie rules football, we welcome you to this uh, wonderful and amazing and insane sport. But there was one person who was particularly taken by the game and by what he was seeing, and that was... Pat McAfee. Now, if you're not familiar with him, uh, he used to be a punter with the Indianapolis Colts of the National Football League, and he has his own daily uh, sports talk show on YouTube, uh, at Pat McAfee Show. Um, And uh, he's been pretty obsessed with it. In fact, just about every day last week, he was talking for, you know, a few minutes here and there about how much he loved the AFL, how much he loved Aussie Rules football, and how much he, like everybody else who's been following the sport, uh, is upset that the game has gone on pause, uh, just like everything else. However, he seems committed to the sport, and... At the end of last week, we at the USAFL sent him a ball, and he loves it. <laughs> he spent most of the show on Friday uh, just uh, handballing to himself, and uh, he's put on, uh, since then, he has put on videos of him kicking around in his gym. He's kicked it into a basket. He, he, there's a basketball challenge between him and Mason Cox going on. But here is an excerpt of uh, what he's been saying on his show, the Pat McAfee show, about Aussie rules football and the AFL. Aaron, I'm holding in my hand, this is the official ball of Australian uh, rules football, Aussie rules football, the AFL. This was sent to me by the United States Aussie Football League. (laughs) Okay, no big deal. A couple quick observations for the ball. Obviously, everybody knows I had a one-night stand with the AFL. Mm -hmm. I found them. I fell in love with them. And then they were postponed until months from now. So I had a one-night stand with the AFL. By the way, glorious one-night stand. I mean, it was everything you could potentially want in a one-night stand with a sport. It instantly caught my attention. I then went through a rabbit hole on YouTube and on the internet about the sport. I was invested, having a good time, excited about my new favorite thing on earth. And then just two days after that, after me being too loud, two days after that, I get told it's gone from my life. See you later. But somebody sent me a ball because of my fanhood. And I'm learning about the sport quickly here. The ball's much smaller than I thought it was going to be. Now, they said this is an official, and we did blow it up all the way. It's much smaller than I thought it was going to be. thought it was going to be bigger. It's a little bit more slick, but I'll tell you what. I could punt this son of a bitch a quarter mile, <laughs> and I am excited about that. I think inevitably I'm going to play in an Aussie Rules football yeah, game. Yeah. I think inevitably that's going to happen. <laughs> you have to. Well, hopefully we see Pat McAfee uh, out there playing footy uh, at some point. And I'll tell you what. I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one that thinks this, but I think he would look darn good wearing the red, white, and blue of the USA Revolution next year for International Cup 2021. We'll let you know what happens, uh, not only here, but on our social media. All right, 
Let's get to the actual show. We have two really exciting guests for you today. A little bit later on, we're going to be talking with umpire Lori Roop, who has quite literally been traveling the world uh, officiating Australian football games. She's been here. She's been in Australia. She's been all over the place. Where we'll talk about her journey and about how she got into umpiring. But first, Nick Plaisance of the Houston Lone Stars. <laughs> Much like the clubs in Australia, the clubs here in the USAFL, all 46 of them, have different cultures uh, from city to city, big towns, small towns, and they all wrap around the players and the coaches and everybody else that makes that club go. One of the clubs that has a very familiar culture is the Houston Lone Stars, who celebrated their 10th anniversary last year. And a guy who's been there from just about the very beginning is the new president and the head coach of the Texas Heat women's team that the Lone Stars are uh, anchored to, Nick Plaisance. And he joins us on Marks and Stripes. Nick, thanks so much for joining us. How you doing? Hey, Brian, doing uh, doing good under the circumstances. <laughs> glad, <laughs> glad to be talking with you. Likewise, mate. Always a pleasure. Um, you've been involved with the Lone Stars since uh, pretty much their foundation days in 2009, 2010. How did you get into Aussie Rules, and how did you happen upon the Lone Stars? So, uh, yeah, um, I grew up overseas, uh, kind of proximity to Australia, so knew about footy, but, you know, uh, East and Northern Australia, mostly being rugby culture, that was the main thing. Um, around 2008, I uh, had an Australian buddy of mine come through town, and he told me, you know, uh, randomly he found a championship going on in Colorado, and they were playing footy. And he told me to, to look in and see if Houston had a team. So uh, I went on to Craigslist, uh, see if there was any listings, and a fellow by the name of uh, Jarrett Maidenberg, had a post there uh, a couple months old uh, talking about footy. Um, I think what happened was they had attempted a team here some years before, and uh, it just kind of fell apart. Uh, you know, there was an injury or two, and people weren't as invested yet. And so I messaged him and told him I, I'd want to learn how to kick and uh, showed up to a park here in Houston, um, Herman Park, and uh, me, him, and two other guys kicked the footy around for a while. Then um, almost died doing some hill sprints with them. And, uh, yeah, everything kind of took off from there. I kept pestering them to come out and kick the footy, show me how to do it. From there, uh, a fellow by the name of Dan Holwerda, who's kind of a club legend, he truly was the spirit of the club and informed everything. Um, an Australian, he knew how things ran and knew how to play the sport very well. And he got it all kind of off the ground and running. I was 19, 20 at the time and, and just wanted to play, learn how to play. Um, himself, uh, we had a, another guy, Sean Whitehouse, came over from Sydney. And uh, he had had some experience in growing some youth programs. So he was also instrumental. And then, of course, the dynamic duo of the USAFL, Dave Bryant and Sonia Lovell, they happened to be at a grand final party we threw here at a, a bar in Houston, the Phoenix on Westheimer. They happened to be there, and uh, Dan kept bugging them to come out. You know, the rest is history. Uh, I'm pretty sure the league knows who those two are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they've been around forever, and of course, Dave Bryan is the Central Regional Vice President of the USAFL. Um, you mentioned the two of them, and I remember in the 2017 Central Regional um, actually being on the bus uh, in Little Rock going to and from the hotel to the field with you guys and I remember looking around and you guys had rented a bus and and uh, everybody had their families um, what is that culture like what kind of culture did the two of them build that um, you hope to continue as president of the Lone Stars this year so yeah, we, you know, when we started, it was just a couple of knuckleheads, and it wasn't even a, a frat culture type of thing, or you know, we weren't hyper competitive at all. Um, all. A lot of different guys came from different sports, like uh, water skiing. Uh, myself, I was completely out of shape. Probably shouldn't have been running on that field until I was. Um, some guy, a few, one or two, had played footy before. So in the beginning, it was just, hey, this is this weird sport. We don't know each other, and we stuck together because we wanted to play. We didn't even have hopes of joining the league at the time. Uh, that wasn't a goal until maybe a year into it. 
uh, eventually when we started playing with Baton Rouge, who were also very instrumental, shout out to them, with helping us get up and running because we saw how their team functioned. We saw how they all knew each other and were close and stayed close even after some retired from playing. Um, so when Dave and Sonny came around, you know, they had experience with, with club, actual club culture in Australia in that it wasn't just about the competition and it was about sticking together through the off seasons as well. Um, all of that, started coalescing as we all got older and we started having families. Uh, you know, this is an amateur sport and we're all kind of, you know, on our own once, once you get into things like injuries and stuff. And as players would get injured in the course of playing, we stuck with them and, you know, people were available to help out and uh, bring things to people who needed it, uh, help people out with, with trouble, things like uh, work visas, things from coming overseas. And all of that, I think, really hit the head uh, when Hurricane Harvey at Houston because we suddenly realized we have this network of probably 30 core players and two to three to 400 people in the periphery associated with our club. And we were able to pull all these resources and put people in trucks and buses and go to different towns around Texas to help rebuild people's, uh, their families' houses um, and help out and things like that. So it's very, you know, we don't have professional resources. The money we have every year is the money we raise simply by playing footy. And what we do have is people. And I think that was the core of our culture was we're, we're a club of people and we're all friends who knew each other and grew to, grew to knew and love each other from this sport. And it's a crazy thing that we all opt to do and do to ourselves, <laughs> but we met each other through this. And that, that was core from what I think Dave and Sonny brought over. Now you talk about people and Houston, of course, attracts a lot of folks from over, from overseas because of the uh, energy industry there, not only in Houston, but in the surrounding areas there in Texas. What's it been like recruiting Americans to the sport in Houston? You know, we've actually done uh, pretty well. We, we have something of a, a transient population when it comes to the expats, uh, expatriates. You know, we'll, we'll get a couple of Australians through for a few, maybe two years at a time. Um, they usually don't know about us. Uh, we, we get word from someone who works for an oil company here or, or an engineer somewhere, and they say, hey, we got this new person came in. They're here for three months or, hey, they're here for maybe, you know, a year or two. And we get them and we get them involved in the club and we rely on their expertise. Uh, with the Americans, it's, you know, Houston's a huge city. But like I, you know, we were talking before about how there's so many sports here in the U.S. So it is kind of hard to wrench people away from what they want to do and what they're looking at. Uh, a lot of players who played sports in high school and college, they had this very rigorous structure and they had a coach and a system that was in place. And so it's sometimes tricky to get people into this thing now that they're out in the workforce and you say, hey, you can still have sport, but you it's, it's a lot more trust. You have to trust us that we know where we're going. We have this culture for you to come be part of if you like. And We'll, we'll give you something to do and exercise. So I think the Americans really like that. It's this way for them to have, uh, you know, a core conceit of our club is second effort. You, you get knocked down and lose the footy, you get back up and you go tackle that guy and you get it back. And it's that same idea here. You get a second effort. You were great in high school. You were great in college sports, but you never had the chance to go further with it. Or maybe you went through there and you never got to participate in sports, but you always wanted to well, we've got this thing for you. And all it requires is, you know, a pair of cleats. That's all you need is to come out and just, just show up and we'll throw this huge, heavy leather ball at your face and you'll love it. Hmm. So with the Americans, that's kind of the approach we got to take is we have something for you. <laughs> now, speaking of that opportunity, um, you were now the head coach of the Texas Heat women's side, who I, I think is a great story because um, – uh, 
the middle of 2017, there was no uh, women's team at all in Texas, not in Houston, not in any of the other two cities there. And now there is, and they made a very quick splash at the 2017 Nationals, finishing in uh, a very solid third place, going two and two. Now you take the helm of that. Um, talk about the growth of that, because I know you were involved in that as well in uh, not only the, uh, again, finding the niche with the Australians, but all of this uh, American talent coming on, uh, anchored there in Houston, but also those two other cities in Texas. Yeah, so... I was uh, I was gone for about a year in the 2016 season. I, uh, my wife and I moved up to Wisconsin as she was going to PA school there. And uh, while I was there, I, I thought that was kind of the end of my footy career. It would be a good time to retire. And uh, then I got a phone call that, hey, they've started a club in Wisconsin. So uh, <laughs> Facebook, pretty hardcore. Uh, got in touch with Nafla Poff, who can't praise her enough. She got a team running there. And um, they're a fantastic group up there in Wisconsin. I've got one of their jumpers. Love playing with those guys. Um, when I got back to Houston uh, in 2017, they had just formed the women's team. And then we got the jumpers designed by you, which are still my favorite jumpers in the league. <laughs> um, they had formed the team and gotten as many people as they could. Some of the women were... Um, you know, wives and girlfriends of some of the other players, and we had always said, wouldn't it be great if they played 22 if they could play? And when I got back and I saw that, I was so excited. And we went to San Diego that year, and watching the Heat play was just so wonderful to me. When I was in Wisconsin mm -hmm. and they started their team there, it was that feeling again, that nascent feeling of a new thing that was starting. And being in those first stages of a club are so exciting because you're forming your culture and everyone's so excited and they get to do this thing and it's theirs. And coming to Houston, I thought, okay, I might have to come back and find my slot somewhere because we've recruited a lot of new people. I'm old hat now. And I get back and they've got this women's team and everyone's so excited again. And even on the men's side, it reinvigorated all of us to have this new energy in the club to have another reason to play and grow um, as an organization. So I wasn't super instrumental in their formation other than just encouragement. Um, last season, you know, we, we had someone in place coaching them, and uh, he was doing a fantastic job. Um, RJ Meza was, was doing the work there. But as with all things, this is an amateur sport. We all have jobs and families. And, you know, it's hard to always be there for every single scheduled practice and for every away game, every traveling to regionals. So I was around and trying to encourage as much as I could. Watching them play was so much fun, and I'm seeing so much talent that was just buried and never got a chance to shine. And the whole year I thought I would love to do this if the opportunity came up. So. You know, this year uh, I'm, a, I'm a teacher, so my, my schedule is pretty, uh, pretty reliable, and in the summers I'm available. And uh, so, yeah, I was asked to, to head them up this year, and I was super honored and excited to do that. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know how, how the future looks with this team other than awesome. Uh, you know, Erin Phillips had made a comment about, you know, maybe she moves back to the, moves to the States one day when she retires and throws a heat jumper on. And um, that thought terrifies me to, to, <laughs> because the thought of Aaron Phillips playing for us is, is just something I can't conceive of. <laughs> well, maybe it'll happen. You never know. Um, that's actually a really good segue. You're, um, you are a teacher by trade. Um, how has that shaped you as a footballer and as a club person and now – this next challenge of, of um, coaching these women for the Texas Heat? Um, I'd say, uh, you know, the, the main thing you get out of teaching, I, I think if you're doing it right, is patience. <laughs> <laughs> um, your teaching is basically, you know, you're, you're putting on an act uh, or a play or some sort of production. Once that class comes in, you're on and you're on for 45 minutes to an hour and a half, you know, however it's set up. You've got 30 kids a class, 130 to 140 a day, and you, they all have different needs. They all have different strengths. 
um, different areas of growth and you've got to figure all that out while still keeping your head because you never know what a kid's morning was like before they walk into your room and they don't know what yours was like you know um, they don't know that I had five guys piling on top fighting for a footy the day before and you know while I'm walking into class with a black guy and a broken nose <laughs> and I you know and unfortunately um, in some cases I don't know why they're walking in with the same so you're always having to be adaptive you know being able to adapt to the situation and <laughs> middle schoolers middle schoolers can get under your skin like nothing else in, in the universe so when it comes to footy it, it's been a, it's been it's helped to temper you know emotions and you always try to to keep your mind set on what the goal is with coaching it's that same idea of everyone has a different strength and I think a lot of times you know when you're trying to assess what you have as a team you you put the players out on the field in positions and you say well okay this person you know they're a little slow so I'm gonna put them back in, in in this other position I don't want them running the wing this person doesn't have the greatest hand so you know maybe I'll put them in the middle where they're just gonna be grabbing the ball off the ground a lot and it's easy to think that way but from a perspective of someone who took a long time to get halfway decent at this sport hearing criticism you know if I if I think of my classroom and I, I try to get it from the eyes of an 11 year old I'm not going to give them criticism I'm going to emphasize what they do well and I had so much fun when I got back to Houston got involved with the club again of just trying to point out what everyone did well you know someone takes a really good mark or I see one of the women drops the footy perfectly and gets a beautiful kickoff it, it goes so much farther to tell them what they're doing well everything else everything else will come into place because if you stay in the league long enough you pick things up you start watching professional footy it's good to have encouragement. So I'd say those are the two things that have come out of teaching is how to be as patient as possible and how to focus on the encouragement aspect of it. One thing uh, I should mention here is in kind of piggybacking off of that is um, last year, I think it was, uh, you put on uh, for the Lone Stars a really poignant one minute long video about how uh, footy has helped your mental health. Um, you mentioned that you had been going through uh, struggles previously and how um, this community really has helped uh, you cope with that in a sense. Um, what would you tell somebody who is uh, facing a similar situation to what you had uh, about this community and, and about how supportive it is? You know, uh, that's just it, is mental health struggles, and when I say mental health, I mean everything from anxiety to depression to um, even uh, postpartum is, is something that's super underrated and under-talked about. Um, and I think what I wanted to get across in a video I posted last year was simply, I came to a point where I thought this was normal. I thought this was just my life and that that was a normal state of existence and it was only because we don't talk about these things and especially as a culture of, of athletes we don't talk about these things um, I got really lucky in that it hit at the same time as there was something of a movement at the time in the professional community professional footy players were stepping away from the game and, and, and publicly saying I need time. Uh, I, I, this is a huge burden mentally and I'm dealing with other issues and I need time with my family. And that goes such a long way into telling people, hey, everyone else is struggling too. And that doesn't make your struggles less important or impactful or unique. It just means that someone right next to you is probably thinking the same things and thinking, I have to bury this down because this is weird and no one else understands what this is. And it's not. It's it's so much more widespread than people think. And our hope and the initiative we're going to get going here is is called a hashtag take a minute. And the idea is simply take a minute and unload some of the stuff you're dealing with so that other people see how common it is 
And the more we talk about it, you know, maybe the more comfortable people get about talking with it. We're not trying to solve anyone's issues. We're trying to get you to be comfortable speaking about them. And the, the group that we're partnering with there is, is called Heart Support, and they're a nonprofit um, that promote mental health and mental health awareness. They have great resources on their websites. Uh, we actually have, we're going to be relaunching that initiative soon here. Um, we've been kind of working on the timing with everything going on. As far as footy goes, you know, uh, I guess personally, I was alone when, when this started in 2008, about-ish. Uh, I was struggling in college. Uh, my friends are of a more international community variety, and so keeping in touch with them through social media is one thing, but not being able to see them, you know, takes its toll. And then I found this club, and there was always a week-to-week -week thing. I was always so nervous and terrified that it would all fall apart, and I wouldn't see these people anymore. And I know Dan Holward uh, and Matt Stevens, two huge figures in our, in, in our club in the league history, um, they were instrumental in bringing me back from the brink and giving me, essentially giving me the life I have now. All the encouragement and motivation, um, all of that came from, from my club, from everyone telling me, you can do this. You know, you've set this specific goal, you're going to meet that one. And when you do, you know, we're going to give you crap about it for six to nine months. But when you meet that, we're going to give you another one and you're going to meet that one too. So when I look at my life, I think of it in two stages. It was before footy and after footy. And it was all about the community aspect of it. You have this group who isn't there by any um, obligation. They're there because they choose to be. They want to play footy with you, and they want you to play footy with them. And they have every reason there to keep you with them and to keep you to healthy and uh, to help you with what you need. And we're glad you're a part of that and also that you're doing this initiative. Um, let's change gears. Very last question. Um, we always like to end uh, our interviews with a fun question. So in 30 seconds or less, tell <laughs> us of all the places you've traveled, because you've traveled all over the place playing in the U.S. AFL, uh, nationals, regionals, uh, regular season games. Uh, in 30 seconds or less, tell us uh, the favorite, your favorite city other than Houston, because Houston's a cool city, but other than Houston, where do you like playing the most? Oh, man. Um, okay, well, we've played in Austin a lot. Uh, Baton Rouge is always a great time, even though, you know, it's just as swampy as Houston. Um, San Diego Nationals was fantastic, 2017. Um, let's see what else. Uh, you know what? I, I would say, uh, where do we play in, in, uh, in, in Wisconsin? Um, Racine. Racine. I, you know what? I'll say that was fantastic. Some of the field conditions were a little rough because it had, you know, slight ice the night before. Uh, but it, the weather was great, and we just tore that town apart that day. <laughs> that was a cool weekend. Uh, Kerry Grieving and the folks at Real Racing will be happy to hear you say that. Um, Nick Plaisance, thank you so much for joining us. Um, listen, uh, again, thank you for all your work that you're doing uh, with the Take a Minute campaign. And um, best of luck in the future. Um, I know that uh, the Lone Stars are in good hands with you and the Heat, uh, as you, you're coaching them, uh, are in good hands as well. Thank you so much for joining us on Marks and Stripes. Hey, Brian, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it was an honor to be on. Uh, the feeling is mutual, mate. Uh, we're going to step aside, come right back after the break. We'll be talking with Lori Roop from the USAFL Umpires Association. Plus, we'll have hashtag Ask Barish. All that coming up when we return. You're listening to the Marks and Stripes USAFL podcast. Australian rules football in the U.S.? That's right. The United States Australian Football League is in a city near you. Go to USAFL.com, find your team, check them out. We're a group full of men and women just like you. Join us for the fun athletic competition. Stay for the camaraderie. We want the champion! Log on and sign up to join your team at USAFL.com. 
back here on Marks and Stripes. Before we talk to Lori Roop, it's time for Ask Barish. Last week on the show, uh, I invited everybody out there to uh, ask me a question about uh, the USAFL, about Aussie rules, about really anything at all, um, preferably about the sport because that's what the podcast is about. And uh, we got a really good question this week using the hashtag AskBarish, of course. We got a really good question last week from the Des Moines Roosters uh, Twitter account. And that question was, is there a club or clubs you would like to go and see a game of footy at? Now, um, there's no specification here as to whether that's a USAFL club uh, or an AFL club um, or an AFL stadium. Uh, So I'll answer both. So my personal thing for the USAFL, uh, the answer is pretty obvious. Uh, I would love to go see a game in Hawaii with the Hawaii Eagles, especially uh, with all the work that Dallas McCullough and uh, all and Kyle and all the guys and girls uh, out there have been doing in Honolulu. Um, of course, I'm excited about the national championships October 10th and 11th in Ontario, California at the Silver Lakes uh, Sports Complex. That looks fantastic. Uh, in terms of the AFL, well, I've been to all three major Victorian grounds, uh, the MCG, uh, uh, the Docklands, as well as uh, Cardinia Park, um, would love to go and see a game at the new stadium in Perth. Uh, That would be fantastic because it's just big, cauldron cathedral um but second place to that is the sydney cricket ground uh since it's an old cricket ground and also they played baseball there that one time um if you would like your question our thanks to the des moines roosters we'll be talking to them in in a future show um if you want your question featured all you have to do is go on twitter or or at usafl 1997 uh, or go on instagram at usafl 1997 or on facebook slash usafl and uh use the hashtag and your question may appear on this show. In order to have a good game of Australian rules football, you need two teams, posts, ball, uh, preferably some markings on the field, but most importantly, you need a set of umpires. Now, the USAFL Umpires Association has grown in leaps and bounds over the years, and uh, one of the more well-traveled members of the UA is one Lori Roop. She has called games not only in the USAFL, she has uh, multiple Hayden Kennedy medals for uh, umpiring in the grand final, but she has umpired games on four different continents, uh, calling the International Cup in Australia. She's done games in Europe and also did the game last year in Bogota as well. And Lori Roop joins us on the Marks and Stripes podcast. Lori, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Brian. Thanks for having me on. I'm super excited. Well, we're super, super excited to have you. So let's start at the very beginning of your Aussie rules journey. How did you get into Australian rules football? Yes, uh, it's a great story. I was randomly on vacation with a couple of women who were playing for the Minnesota Freeze, and this was in 2013. And at the time, I'd been looking to join some kind of group sport, right? I was still fairly new in Minnesota, was trying to meet people, just just needed something different. And so they had told me about Aussie Rules Football, and I was very intrigued. So in 2014, I ended up joining the Minnesota Freeze and started playing with them. And I was literally hooked the day, like the first time I went to practice, right? Because I couldn't figure out hand passing. I couldn't figure out how to do it. I kept throwing the ball. I kept getting stuff called against me and I just was like no I want to keep coming back to the sport until I figure it out so I was hooked from day one. Now you had played for a while and if I remember correctly you got injured and that's how you made the transition to umpiring? Yeah that's exactly it so in 2015 during the summer just playing in a metro game right just a regular scrimmage metro game and got tackled and uh, ended up uh, that I tore my ACL in my left knee so Um, It took a while to get that diagnosed, but in the interim, I went with the team to the Central Regional Tournament, which that year it was in Racine. And so for one of the women's games that the Freeze were playing in, they needed goal umpires. And so I thought, well, I'm not doing anything. I might as well volunteer and just help. And so I had zero training. They basically gave me a crash course about five minutes before the game started. And I goal umpired uh, for a full women's game, and I loved it. I was like, wow, I can do this. This this is maybe something I can do while I'm injured. And so within, I think, a week, I had reached out to Jeff Person, and he and I started talking about umpiring. And that's really what started my journey. I ended up, um, in 2015, I ended up being a goal umpire for 
kind of the later half of that season. And then, uh, and then in November, I had knee surgery, and so got my ACL repaired. And then back in, and then in 2016, I came out and started um, training as a field umpire. So that's that is kind of a fluke that it all happened. But you know, sometimes that's the way life works out, and I and I'm thankful for it. So. Well, you know what the the old saying is: when life hands you lemons, eat your lemons. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> now you uh, you you've gone up the ranks. You're now a level two uh, umpire. Um, and that, of course, is uh, there's level zero when you first get in. There's level one, and then there's level two. Uh, what's the process like to get to that point? To get to that point of the accreditation. Yeah, that's a great question. So level zero is, you know, in order to become a level zero umpire, we just ask that you attend an umpire clinic. So sometimes we host them at regionals. I think we're trying to do that more often now. So I think we did that last year for all three of the regional tournaments. So you can either attend one of those or you can attend the umpire clinic at nationals. And so that gets you your level zero, which just means you've had some introductory training. You've had some introductory information. Once you do that and you start umpiring on a consistent basis, you start working towards your level one. And really the big criteria that we're looking for at level one is do you have a basic understanding of the rules and are you able to apply them? So do you understand when to call high contact? Do you understand when to call tripping? Do you understand holding the ball? Like like some of those basic calls that you need to have as a field umpire. And it's even... I mean, I'm talking in field umpire terms, but it's the same thing for goal umpiring, right? Do you understand the basic tenets and the basic rules of being a goal umpire? Once you understand that, then you're up for getting that level one accreditation. So, um, so that that is always on the plate. And with our national umpire coaches, so you've got we've got Jeff Person for field, um, we've got Toby and Sid who do it for goals. You know, you're having that ongoing conversation, and then they're evaluating you for that level one accreditation. Once you get that, if you consider, if you want to continue um, to progress your umpiring career, you start working towards level two. And really, what you're, you know, what you're being evaluated on for level two is how is your match management, right? How are you interacting with the players? If things are starting to get heated on the field, are you able to keep control of the game? Are you, you know, can you effectively use yellow and red cards to control the game or to control situations before they get out of hand? Um, you know, it's things like that that they're looking at. So, you know, they assume that you already know the rules. Now, how do you manage those game time situations? And so that's really what they're looking for when you get to that level two accreditation. Interesting. And I'm always learning more about the umpiring side of things as much as I think I know about the game. I think a lot of people, when they when they learn more about the umpiring side of it, I think it's a, a, a very important education. Um I'm curious, and I don't know that I've ever asked you this question before, but had you ever um, officiated or done any sort of refereeing before you came on board uh, with the USAFL? Nope. The, this was my first experience of officiating. So never – I played a bunch of sports, like, growing up and in college and things like that, but I'd never officiated before. So this was a first – this was a first for me. Now, you you mentioned that you had played roughly uh, about a year before getting into that. Um do you feel that you're at maybe an advantage uh, because you've never had to, uh, I, I guess you're going into a single track as a, as a referee or as an umpire, you haven't had to go through the, the playing part of it to, to make that transition? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think playing for a year gave me enough of a background and understanding of the game and match flow and things like that that I think it, it helped. It helped to give me a good grounding of of what is expected of an umpire. But yet, I wasn't so ingrained in being a player that I couldn't pull myself out of that. Because there are there are habits that you do as a player that don't always serve you well as an umpire. So I don't think I was so ingrained in some of those habits that I wasn't able to kind of reset and become an umpire. So I think I had just enough playing experience to give me a good foundation, but yet I was able to, you know, take that, take what I learned from that and apply it to umpiring. Gotcha. Now, you obviously deal with a lot of newer players. And yes. in fact, you um, 
at the regional tournaments last year, uh, you were kind enough to uh, give clinics to especially the newer women's players, actually all the women's players uh, ahead of those tournaments. Um, What's the one thing that you you've seen in your experience that uh, is the most challenging for new players, new, especially the new Americans to pick up when they first get into footy? Yeah, I think the thing I see the most is uh, I, I see a lot of kicking in danger. So if I had to pick one specific call, I think that's what I see a lot of because, you know, we get a lot of soccer players, whether they're current or former, right? And it's just like, and that was me. I played soccer growing up. So that was a habit that I had to break myself because it was my natural tendency to want to go in with my foot and just kick the ball off of the ground while other people are there, while hands are there. And so I I think that is probably the one thing that I see the most, especially with new players, because it's just, it could be just that ingrained skill. Um, Yeah, I think I would go with that. I think that's probably the thing I call the most, especially with new players, because you have to get used to not going in with your feet. You have to get used to going in with your hands instead. Yeah, I think that's that's an instinct. And really, there's no other sport that you play uh, where you can kick a ball, a live ball like that other than soccer. Yeah, I know I was guilty of it, too, when I first started. Um, So you, uh, of course, start field umpiring. And then in 2017, uh, you got one of the two um, umpiring scholarships and you got a chance to go to the International Cup in Australia uh, and really umpire in in Melbourne. Um, firstly, was that your first time in Australia? Um, we'll answer that question first. Um, was that your first time in Australia? Yes, it was. So that was that in and of itself was an awesome benefit to going to the International Cup. So to be in the, the, the home of footy. Um, and the other question is, what was that experience like? Because uh, you're obviously, you know, there was the one game where it was the uh, it was an all USAFL uh, umpiring crew at the game at Digger's Rest. And uh, you'll have to remind me, was it India and Indonesia? Um, China and Indonesia. China and Indonesia. Yes. Um, but it was all USAFL umpires. And you're used to working with guys like uh, Jonathan Mills, Jeffrey Person, um, uh, Steve Arnett as well. Um, but you also had the opportunity to work with umpires from Australia, umpires mm-hmm. from Europe that you never had umpired before. What was that like? And then what was uh, just umpiring at that particular level with players from all over the world? Yeah, I mean, for someone like me that was still fairly new in my umpiring career, right? Like that was really, I was halfway through my second full season as a field umpire. Just the amount of learning that I was able to do in such a short amount of time, that, that was amazing, right? And you're, you know, when you're down there, you know, you're umpiring on the field with Australians who have been umpiring, you know, they, they might be in their early 20s, but they've already been umpiring for like 10 years. And so to have someone with that level of experience that you're umpiring with, that's just invaluable, right? So like my level of knowledge from the day I entered Australia to when I left, I mean, it, I was exponentially better as an umpire just being around everybody. And, it, and with the USAFL, right, they because it's such a concentrated time that we're down there, we pack a lot of training sessions in, right? So we're doing the games, but in the off the off days when there aren't games being run, we have a lot of relationships already established with umpire associations in the greater Melbourne area. So we were able to train with other associations or other umpire associations while we were there. And what was great about that, right, is when you're having the training sessions, you can actually, you've got the time to ask the questions, right? If you're running a game, you can't be asking questions while you're trying to make calls and you're trying to back up your other umpires and you're trying to do what you need to do on the field. But in those training sessions, we were able to run drills, we were able to ask questions, we were able to work on our fitness, we were able to get, you know, feedback from umpire coaches in Australia like that. That was the part that was just as good as doing the games with people that have a ton of experience. And and actually, we also, we were very lucky one night, we actually got to go train with the AFL umpires, so they are at Icon Park, and we got to spend a night training with, like, the best of the best. So you're seeing all of these people that you see on TV week in and week out doing the games, and then you're right there talking to them, and you're able to ask them questions, and they're showing you how they train and how they prepare and how they 
debrief after the games are over after a weekend. And that is just that is just experience that you don't necessarily get in the United States. Speaking of which, and speaking of getting that experience in the U.S., um, we've been uh, fortunate over the last two years to get four AFL umpires to come out to our national championships. Mm -hmm. Of course, Ray Chamberlain, Shane McInerney, Chris Donlin, and Hayden Gavine. Um, and of course, you had the opportunity to uh, learn from them. And in some cases, I know they umpired some of the games, and, and I'm, I don't know if you got a chance to umpire with any of them, but um, what was it like getting their uh, insight on home turf? And not, not in Australia, but mm -hmm. uh, around USAFL football. Yeah, I mean, that, once again, they have so much experience, and they've seen the game at all levels, right? They've seen the community level, they've seen the state level, now they're seeing the professionals in Australia. So their level of expertise is is really invaluable, and I think what I appreciated the most, so I don't think I ever, I umpired with Hayden once, but I got feedback, like I, I had both Ray and Chris observe me in two separate matches and give me feedback, they're, the way that they deliver feedback, they're very precise and they're very good about knowing exactly what are those couple of items that they want to give you that are going to make the most impact in, their, in your game, right? So both of my coaching sessions with Chris and Ray, you know, they didn't give me a laundry list of things that I needed to work on. They're like, yeah, here are the two things that you do really well. Here are the two things that you should work on, right? So it was very precise it was very, you know, it was a very good message. And so that was, it was easy for me to take their feedback and do something with it because because they gave me very precise, very concise feedback. Now we talked about umpiring Australia and umpiring here in the U.S. Um, we've mentioned that you're a bit of a globetrotter, and yes. that's just your nature anyway, um, because I know that you have done a lot of traveling over the last couple of years. Um, you got the opportunity to umpire in Europe, and that is a part of the Aussie rules landscape that is pretty developed. It's uh, mm -hmm. uh, Some of those teams, some of those countries have been playing it longer than we have in the United States. Um, what was it like umpiring uh, games over there? Yeah, so that, you're exactly right. Like in, I believe London has the biggest league of Aussie rules players outside of Australia. So to be able to umpire in Europe, you have a ton of both expats as well as American, or sorry, as well as Europeans that have been playing the game for a long time. So that was also a fun experience because you get to go, and I think I umpired twice in Amsterdam, once in Bordeaux, France, and and it's to me, those feel very similar to going to um, our USAFL Nationals, right? You've got teams that are extremely good. They have the skill set. To watch them play is, like, it's beautiful, right? To see them pass the ball and the way they kick it and mark it and all of that. And then you've got other teams and other countries that are just starting to learn the game. And so it's fun to see those people and, like, their excitement, like, after their first game where they've played and they're like, oh, my God, we figured it out. Like, oh, my God, we have this sequence of hand passing. We were able to do it, and now they can build on that for their future games. So those environments were very fun because you get to meet, you get to meet a lot of people from all across Europe in, in kind of a short time frame in a short tournament like that. So. Now, as developed as they are, you got the opportunity last year to head down to Bogota, Colombia, and umpire a couple of games uh, with the Denver Bulldogs uh, taking on the Bogota Bulldogs, and then you got to do a women's match between the Bulldogs women and a uh, a group of American women, and I know there was one player from Germany as well on that team as well. Yes. Um, that was very much a learning experience for them, and, and they're uh, I guess kind of similar like the U.S. They have a lot of Australian expats, but there are a lot of uh, local Colombians who are picking up the game as well. Um, what was that experience like? Oh, I mean, that was that was a blast. I had so much fun. Um, you know, the, the men's side, the men's team is definitely more developed. So you've got your Australian expats. You've got other people that have just, you know, Colombians that have picked up the game from just seeing it around town or they have a rugby background that have learned about it, right? But then, you know, the, I give that team and that club a lot of credit because they've really put in the time and effort to develop a women's team, which is really nice to see them do that. And so to get to experience that and to see some of these women who were playing, you know, I think essentially their first game against a team that was not them it was so cool to see that, right? It was so cool to be a part of that because here they are playing against 
Americans and a German and just other people that they're not used to playing with, like to see that camaraderie, to see that sportsmanship, to see the joy on their face, like as they're playing, it was, I mean, that was an experience I'll never forget. Yeah, it seems like it. And I know that I'd like to go down there. Um, I've been talking to the Bogota uh, guys as well. And um, it's great to see not only it develop in a part of the world that um, really doesn't have a whole lot of Aussie rules in it, but also see the women's team involved as well. Um, We're running out of time. And so we're down to the final question. And we always like to end with a bit of a fun question. Now, um, umpiring in Aussie rules, you get to do a lot of signals. There's, of course, the old push in the back. There's the holding the ball. Uh, My question to you, Lori Roop, is what is your favorite umpiring signal? Oh, my favorite, hands down, is holding the ball because it's so dramatic and it's like takes your entire body to do it right because you're bending over and you do the big arm sweep right and you can really draw it out and be dramatic with it. So it's it's holding the ball, hands down. I think that's almost sort of like in Broadway when they're when they're, it's like a final for the final bow when you come out and you take one last bow. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, something, exactly, exactly. Something like that, yes. Um, Lori, hey, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for all of the work that you that you do. Uh, just give us one quick reminder, if anybody out there is listening and wants to be uh, an, a USAFL umpire, uh, what's the best way for them to go about it? So please head to our website. It's uh, usaflua.org, I believe. So just if you look up USAFL Umpires Association, you'll be able to find our website. Go there. There'll be a contact form for a way for you to get a hold of us. And then if you're interested in umpiring, fill out that form. We'll be in contact. We are always looking for good, interested people who want to umpire. Lori, thank you so much for joining us on Marks and Stripes. Thank you so much, Brian. I appreciate it. Before we go this week, just a heads up of a couple of initiatives that we're doing on the USAFL social media. Uh, over the next month or so, we're going to be spotlighting each of our 46 clubs, uh, how you can follow them on social media and online, uh, as well as some action and community shots about what makes each of those clubs great. And then the other thing that we're doing is we're also going to be posting ways that you can stay football fit at home, uh, hashtag Workout Wednesday, as well as some other resources resources uh, from folks around the USAFL to do training on your own or even through the internet. We have a couple of folks who can do one-on-one training uh, as well as on Instagram and on other social media. So keep an eye out on our website, USAFL. You can stay online through the website. You can also stay up to date with us uh, on Facebook at facebook.com slash USAFL and on Twitter and Instagram at USAFL1997. And a reminder, you can always follow me on Twitter as well at Barish, USAFL. That's B-A-R-R-I-S-H, USAFL. And don't forget your hashtag, Ask Barish. Our thanks to Nick Poissance and to Lori Roop for joining us this week. And as always, our thanks to you. Uh, We'll have another fresh episode for you in a week's time. Until then, this is Brian Barish signing off for the Marks and Stripes USAFL podcast. Be safe. Be well, and I'll talk at you next time.